Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. Supporting companies and their employees for 75 years. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. You can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. Later in the show, we'll hear from Conor Pope on Ulster Bank and its vanishing cash and how some 10,000 Irish Ferries customers might miss the boat in July of this year as a result of a problem at the ferry operator. And Mark Paul will tell us about plans by Irish retailer Smith's Toys to expand into Austria, Germany and Switzerland to create a 1 billion euro business. Now we're going to start as usual with our roundup of some of the main stories so far this week and I'm joined in studio for this segment by Owen Burke Kennedy of the Irish Times. Owen, you're very welcome. We're going to start with an update from the Central Bank on this tracker mortgage scandal. The number of people affected actually higher than we we had taught last time. They have these Regular updates, don't they? Yeah, so we've always known, I suppose, the number of mortgages affected was going to rise. Uh, the question was just by how much. Uh, so the latest update adds an additional 3,400 customers. bringing the Customer total, accounts. Customer uh, accounts, uh, I should say, yeah. Because obviously there'll be more than one customer per household, in a lot of cases at least. Sure, and that brings the total number affected to 37,100 by the end of March. Now, two mm. interesting things to note is Ulster Bank, who's in the Ivis dorm this week over a separate a scandal relating to accounts uh, accounts for about half of these new numbers. So although all the banks have been dragged kicking and screaming into this process, uh, Ulster Bank and to a certain extent KBC are kind of seen as the laggards of, of the banks in this process. The figures also show then that lenders in total in the Irish market have paid out $459 million to customers affected by this issue including 162 million since December. A total of 79 homes and 142 buy-to-let properties have suffered a loss of ownership in respect of scandal. So they were the new figures we got today. Are they a surprise or is this just more of the same, really? Was this expected? I mean, this when, was expected. I suppose when has this been rumbling on now for three years? And every time we have an update, there's uh, new people added to the cohort who were affected by this scandal. When do we get to the end? Yeah, it's hard to know. I mean, the, the central bank caveated the process today by saying that it believes the majority of affected customers have been identified. However, it does expect a further increase and they keep saying the further increase will be small and not big. So it's going to rumble on and the number is going to uh, trickle upwards. 
the investigation is far from being concluded. And, um, you know, the central bank is also going to bring enforcement proceedings against the six main lenders. Mm. There's no How many re- people lost their homes? Oh. 71 people lost their homes and 142 buy-to-let properties. And buy-to-let, okay. I was just doing some quick calculations there while you were giving us those numbers. So in terms of redress and compensation paid on average to the affected customers, we're talking about €12,371, which doesn't seem like a an awful lot of money for uh, people who've been impacted in this way over a long number of years. And in 71 cases, the account holders lost their homes. Now, it's an average. So obviously it varies uh, from some customer to customer and so forth. But it doesn't seem like an awful lot of money. No, I mean, it's difficult to identify those who have gone through a terrifying process of, of having to deal with banks for years. And obviously um, the banks three or four years ago were pretty aggressive in how they dealt with uh, various customers. Uh, the figure shows today that the average redress and compensation paid to date in respect of loss of ownership of homes is about 133000 while the average buy-to-let is higher at 148000 But uh, given the stress and the drawn-out nature of the process, this doesn't seem like much. Right, OK. Well, talking about uh, redress perhaps of a, a different sort, Apple. Uh, it was decided by the European Commission a couple of years ago that Apple owed the Irish state something like €13 billion euro in back taxes for monies that were channeled uh, through various units in Ireland. Um, it's been appealed, of course, by the Irish state and by Apple. Uh, but in the meantime, the Irish state is responsible for collecting this money and managing it while those appeals uh, play out uh, and, you know, could go either way, I guess. And Apple and, and the state have been in discussions over this for, for some time. But we've had some uh, conclusion brought to that and We've had some details on how this is going to operate, how the state is actually going to manage this cash pile over the next while. Yeah, it's an unusual state of affairs to have this the state in question arguing against mm. this possible windfall. But anyway, it's rumbling on and uh, the European Commission have obviously been frustrated at the slowness in which the Irish government has gone about getting this money. But anyway, yesterday the minister announced that he had actually signed a legal agreement with Apple to set up the escrow account into which the $13 billion in back taxes will be put into. Now, it is anticipated that Apple will make a series of unspecified payments starting next month, and the entirety of the $13 billion will be recovered by the end of September. Now, that doesn't include possible interest on that, but the department said that it's impossible at this stage to gauge the level of interest that might accrue until all the money has been placed in the account but there's some speculation that it may even rise up to $15 billion, all told, when the uh, process is complete. And then we don't know how long the process is going to take. And obviously interest will accrue over time as well while this money is being held on account by the government. Uh, it is still Apple's money. At this point in time, it is still Apple's money, isn't it? And they have a say in how the money is invested and managed uh, until the you know until we have a final outcome from the European Commission decision. Yeah, I mean, like the old Father Ted adage, it's it's essentially resting in our account. <laughs> but um, the company and the government are appealing uh, the decision by the European Commission, and the minister yesterday indicated that that appeal process may start in the autumn. Now, based on on. Uh, previous appeals cases, that can take anything up to four years. So we may have this money resting on our account for a long time and a large amount of interest accruing on it. Right. Did anybody ask him what he might do with the money if uh, in the, the heel of the hunt uh, it's decided that this money actually has to come to the state? Uh, any any clue as to what, how he's going to spend it? Yeah, uh, no clue at this stage. I think uh, the minister would be uh, maybe unwise as we're talking about how he'd spend it now, given they're so sensitive to Apple's position in this in this process. Sure, and of course, in four years' time, uh, who knows? We'll probably have a, we may well have another 
a different minister for finance. We're going to close out uh, this week with uh, some latest figures from Good Buddy Stockbrokers on housing output in Ireland. Now, we know it's not meeting demand, uh, but these Good Buddy figures are slightly different from the official figures that come from state agencies, which perhaps uh, flatter and the output, the construction output, houses and apartments and so forth. And yeah, I mean, let me give you just a bit of context for again to the new figures. I mean, it's incredible that we don't have a kind of handle on construction and housing output at this stage, given this new central road that played. We in don't have any central register which definitively tells us how many new homes are being built in this country every year. Well, we don't. Uh, there is apparently figures out there that possibly could be retrieved, but no authority has gone about doing this. So essentially, we have competing uh, output numbers. Um, so Good Bodies last year decided to use the uh, building energy rating certificates, which have to be issued for all new dwellings, as a way of counting new homes. So their latest figures uh, show that um, 754 homes were completed in Ireland in March uh, this year, up 43% uh, on the previous year. Uh, that's a similar growth rate of uh, 45% was recorded in the first quarter when uh, 2,367 mm. units were complete. So all told, good bodies estimate that around 10,000 units came on stream in the last 12 months. Now, we don't have official figures from the department for the first part of the year, but they estimate 19,000 new bills came on stream in 2017. Now, the problem with their figures is they're based largely on electricity connections, which tend to flatter the output numbers. So we have a big, a big kind of problem in identifying just how much we're building. And of course demand in the market. We're not even too sure what the, what the figure ultimately is, but it, it's yeah, estimated to be between thirty and 40,000. Yeah. Uh, so w- one way or the other, we're building far fewer homes than demand requires. I think we can say that with some and certainty. And the interesting thing to note is that when you don't clear the market this year, it goes on to next year, it builds mm-hmm. up and a backlog builds up. So you have like a permanent buildup of, of demand that doesn't get cleared. Right. Any recommendations from GoBuddy as to what we should be doing? Well, uh, Dermot O'Leary, the chief economist there, just says, obviously, the output numbers isn't enough. But, I mean, the the government are essentially fiddling with the demand side of the market and doing perhaps very little on the supply side. They're saying they're um, building more social uh, homes, but obviously these figures are also disputed. So at the moment, there's no end in sight for rising house prices. Right. Okay. Well, on that cheery note, <laughs> we leave our roundup for there. Owen Burke Kennedy, thank you for joining us. Now, it was another week of consumer scandals involving Ulster Bank and Irish Ferries. Joining me in studio to explain all is Connor Pope, our consumer affairs correspondent. Connor, you're very welcome. Thanks very um, much. Let's start with Ulster Bank and this case of the vanishing cash. Yeah, it's been a bad couple of days for Ulster Bank, and it's probably the bank that could least afford to do with a bad couple of days because uh, they've had previous, so to speak. Mm. Um, And what happened is that money that was lodged into some Ulster Bank accounts, now quite a few from what we can ascertain, started to disappear from people's accounts on Monday. So people might have been paid on Friday and then when they went to check their balances on Monday, the money appeared to have disappeared. Now, obviously, that prompted huge concern and it started first on social media, people contacting Ulster Bank saying, where's my cash? And then on Monday morning, Ulster Bank obviously were... Like they were really concerned about this, as you can imagine. So they launched what they described as an urgent investigation to try and find out what happened to the money. And within a few hours, it had turned out that a person, they blamed human error. So a person hadn't processed a payment file correctly on Monday night. And that caused the money to look like it had disappeared. But they were at great pains to say that 
the money hadn't gone anywhere. It's not like the money had actually disappeared from people's accounts. It's just that balances weren't showing up. So for all intents and purposes, for consumers, the money was gone. But Ulster Bank were paying to stress that the money was actually there resting in their accounts. Well, it has the- consequences for consumers, doesn't it? I mean, for example, there might have been direct debits uh, that needed to be paid, bills that were due to be paid as soon as the money hit their account from their employer. Absolutely. An awful lot of people will get paid, let's say, on the 20th of the month. And then on the 21st of the month, their mortgages or all sorts of direct debits for utilities, health insurance, all those things will leave their accounts. Mm. And a lot of people like to manage their finances that way because at least then they have a huge amount of control because all the money that's due to go out goes out on the same day shortly after they've got paid. So it's all a, a very fine balancing act for a lot of consumers. And if something like this throws the cat amongst the pigeons or if it just throws things out of kilter, that can put people at severe disadvantage. And that was the first thing that I think Ulster Bank had to address. And to their credit, they did address it very quickly. And they were at pains to make it clear that if people went into unauthorised overdraft territory as a result of not having sufficient funds in their account as a result of this problem, they wouldn't be charged. It offered emergency cash of €500 to people if they needed it to cover some direct debits or or, or transactions. And ultimately, they had recognised what the problem was by around three o'clock on uh, Monday afternoon or Tuesday afternoon. And the problem was then resolved overnight. So it was resolved by Wednesday morning. So in a way, it was more the alarm that it caused. And it does show how fragile the whole banking system can be. And if something goes wrong, people can be left in a very, very precarious situation. In this instance, that didn't happen. Uh, The bank acted very quickly and they certainly acted a whole lot faster than they did in 2012 when for weeks on end, Ulster Bank effectively stopped functioning as a bank. People couldn't access money, payments, wages weren't being processed. So it wasn't Mm. nearly as bad as that. But still, it leaves a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. Connor, you did say that they've previous in this and indeed all the banks have. Let's not just beat up on Ulster Bank. Absolutely, The others have uh, had their cock-ups over recent years. But it strikes me that it doesn't matter how many times banks you know, annoy people or uh, mess up their uh, relationship with those people or cash vanishes. Uh, Ulster Bank told us just today that there were an extra 1,500 to 2,000 customer accounts affected by the tracker mortgage scandal. I think they've already paid out uh, redress and compensation to 2,500 customers. They've another 3,500 uh, to go by the end of June. So a large cohort of people affected on, on, on that base. People affected by the banks in all sorts of different ways. Lost money in bank shares as well. And yes, the bank's Continue on their merry way. I mean, how many people actually say, do you know what, sod Ulster Bank, uh, sod AIB or Bank of Ireland or whoever it might be, I'm going to change provider. I'm going to go somewhere else. Virtually none, I would imagine. And in fact, that's an interesting thing because, and again, without wanting to beat up exclusively on Ulster Bank, because as you say, they all have previous and they've Mm -hmm. all let consumers down multiple, multiple times. But when the glitch happened, when the major glitch happened in 2012, like the bank couldn't work for days on end and people were left without any money to survive for days on end or weeks on end. It just went on and on and on. And you would have imagined that what you would have seen then would have been a massive migration of customers away from Ulster Bank. That didn't happen. They saw nothing. They saw virtually no customers leave as a result of that. That's incredible. And I think that told them like it told every other bank, that they can act with virtual impunity and consumers will do nothing. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, there's a perception, and it is actually borne out by a degree of reality, that changing bank is just really hard. Because you have to contact your your employer and get your wages changed. You have to contact your mortgage provider and get the, that changed. And you've got to contact all your direct debits, or at least that's what people think. Now, 
switching protocols that are in place across all the banks mean the mm. b- means means the banks have to do all that stuff. So you would just go to your bank, Bank A, and say, listen, I'm leaving you, I'm going to Bank B, and then Bank A and B have to sort it out amongst themselves for direct debits and payments and all that stuff. So it isn't actually as complicated as people think it is, but people still don't do it. And when you think about the fact that Health insurance is slightly less complicated. To switch health insurance is slightly less complicated. Yet 70% of people Mm. have never switched their health insurance provider. Uh, Changing utilities is really simple. Like changing from the Electric Ireland to Borgash Energy or Energy or electricity, it's really simple. It's two phone calls. That's all it takes. Yet the vast, vast, vast majority of people never switch their utility. And of course, the downside means they're all paying €300 more every year for their utilities than they need to. So... Well, if consumers won't uh, take action, then what about the regulators? It's really up to the regulators to try and put some manners on the banks. Well, I mean, the central bank did fine Ulster Bank in the past for the technical glitch that caused those big problems six years ago. But I would be amazed if the central bank took any kind of action here because what Ulster Bank is saying it was it was purely down to human error. Some drone in Sector 7G, to paraphrase the Simpsons, pressed the wrong button and a payment file that should have gone into this location went into another location. And as a result, it threw the bank into chaos. So, I mean, what isn't it extraordinary that the actions of one person could throw a bank of the size of Ulster Bank? And it's the number three player in the market here, probably has a million customers or, or thereabouts that the actions of one person can throw the bank into chaos. It's absolutely staggering. And I was actually thinking about that as I was on the way in here today. Imagine if one person, you or I or anybody in the Irish Times, could delete our entire website with the push of one button. It just would be unfathomable. Mm -hmm. It would be just ridiculous. And there's all sorts of safety nets and checks and stuff to stop that kind of thing happening. And you would imagine that a bank whose prime business is to make sure that money goes into people's accounts and then leaves people's accounts. You'd imagine that they would have sufficient checks and balances in place to make sure that kind of thing doesn't happen. And I hope that they've learned a lesson from this without wanting to be too preachy about it. OK, well, let's talk about Irish ferries. They began informing people about a week ago that their trips uh, during the summer months were going to be disrupted because a new ship that was due to come on stream, come into the uh, group, has uh, the building of it has been delayed and that's uh, screwed up their schedule. So between five and 10,000 Irish ferry passengers have had their summer holidays disrupted. It's an absolute nightmare for those passengers because an awful lot of these people will have booked camping holidays, which include ferry journeys, and they would have booked them last September. So Are we're they, talking about trips to France? Trips to France. Uh, and the, the new ferry, the swanky new ferry, the WB8, which was which comes at a cost of 147 million euros. And there was huge fanfare and the Irish ferries had a naming competition to see what name it would come up, uh, people would come up with. And eventually they came up with a rather dull WB Yates. Um, well, uh, fans of WB Yates might say... But it's nowhere near car. as good as Ferry McPherson or, or any of the other fun names that people could were, were coming up with. But the bottom line is that it was supposed to be delivered on... Uh, or for July the 12th, and that's when uh, the first ferries were going to leave from Dublin going to, to France. They now think that there's going to be a delay of at least two weeks. So uh, all bookings from the 12th of July to the 29th of July have been cancelled. And what Irish ferries have done is they've tried to re- reaccommodate people on another ferry that's leaving from Rosslare as opposed to Dublin. And that's the Oscar Wilde. You see, there's a theme there. So that's why I wasn't a surprise that it was called the WB8. So the Oscar Wilde is going to be leaving from Rosslare. But given the nature of the ferry crossings, there's no precise overlap. So let's say if the, if the WB Yates was going to go on a Tuesday and a Friday and a Sunday, the Oscar Wilde might go on a Saturday, a Monday and a Thursday. So come what May, you're going to be disrupted. So you'll either lose a day uh, at the end of your holiday or you lose a day at the start of your holiday. Um, and that just really annoys people because people will have accommodation booked, people will have cars 
hired. And all of these things, again, like the banking situation, it's kind of a delicate balancing act. And for people who have booked who booked holidays using a DIY channel as in booking the ferry themselves and booking the campsite or whatever it might be themselves, they were they, they were just put in a, in a difficult position. Now, don't where get do me they, Where do they stand in terms of compensation? Well, this, this, this is the thing. Everyone in Ireland is probably familiar with EU Regulation 261, which governs air travel. And that gives people clearly outlined rights if something goes wrong. But the good news is there is actually a similar system in place for uh, sea crossings uh, and it's called EU Directive 177. And that's governed by uh, the National Transport Authority and they're the ultimate arbiters of this. And they tend to decide compensation levels on a case-by-case basis because unlike air travel, this situation with Irish ferries is quite rare. It's not often that you see a ferry being cancelled for days and on end Mm if it's unrelated to the weather. Now, when it's related to the weather, it's a very different thing because obviously a ferry crossing can't happen if it's unsafe. Um, so that ex- the, all the regulations exclude weather. So it's very rare to see something like this happening in the ferry business. So when I was speaking to the Consumer Council of Northern Ireland, who to their credit were very fast out, out of the blocks on this, and to the National Transport Authority, they were say, kind of saying, this is unprecedented. So we don't know exactly how much compensation, if indeed any compensation, is going to be due because... Like with uh, the aviation industry when they have what what used to be known as the act of God clause and if something was an act of God, well, then nobody was entitled to compensation. Uh, the, the ferry industry has weather and it has extraordinary circumstances. And if, an, if a ferry company can say that the cancellations are due to extraordinary circumstances, well, then no compensation will be due. Well, I is t- it extraordinary that a German shipyard is behind in the building of a ferry? I well, it could be so, argued, quite frankly. It could, it, it could be argued that the Germans are so efficient at these things that they always do these things on time. So maybe it is extraordinary. But uh, I wouldn't have thought that they would be able to argue convincingly that's, that it's extraordinary circumstances. Yeah. It, could be, it could be argued that they should have foreseen this kind of thing. They should have factored in delays in getting delivery of the boat uh, into their, into their uh, systems. So what has Irish Ferries been offering by way of compensation? Well, this is the thing. I mean, obviously, they've been rerouting their passengers and they've rerouted most of them at this stage. So they're going on the Oscar Wilde, as I say, as I said, a day earlier or a day later. But they've also offered them what I think is a derisory 150 euro voucher that they can use in 2019. Like on Irish Ferries. On Irish Ferries. Now, you're kind of thinking, guys, if you're going to offer them a voucher, at least offer them 150 euros off their current Mm. crossing and not some potential crossing that they may or may not uh, embark upon in, in a year's time. And, and I think that was probably a mistake. I think they, the, the company could have said as a gesture of goodwill, we're sorry, we messed up. Here's 200 quid off every booking. And I yeah. think if they'd done that, there would have been an awful lot less what about uh, disquiet. Potentially hiring in a ship from somewhere else to cover the disruption? They can do that in the in the aircraft industry, I would imagine. Not so easy in ferries, I guess. But I guess with ferries, you're talking about like, like this boat can accommodate. I think it's nearly two eighteen hundred passengers and crew, uh, three kilometers of cars, uh, and and like the whole unique selling point of it was it was supposed to be the most luxurious ferry to ever cross from Ireland to France. And it was leaving from Dublin, which was was going to be very handy for people who live in the west, the north, and the east of the country. Not so handy for people who live in Wexford or Walford. But they, but you know, so the unique selling points are now gone for for a lot of people in that two or three week window. So I can understand their disappointment, but most people have probably already been accommodated. And by the way, it does show the value in many respects of booking through a tour operator because if you had booked a package holiday. Well, then the tour operator has to take the hit and the tour operator has to give you money back for accommodation lost and or give you... Uh, uh, so Irish, is Irish Ferries only required to compensate you for the value of your ferry trip? Unless 
that they may be uh, obliged to pay somebody uh, to pay people 80 euros per night for up to three nights for accommodation that they will need to get whilst they're overseas if they can, if the if their return home has been delayed but that has to yet be teased out by the national transport authority right and what what's the nta been saying about this the nta are looking into it and they're not really i, I and again to to be fair to them this is unprecedented so i think the first port of call if you excuse the rather silly pun is uh, that they will have to go people will have to go first to Irish ferries see what Irish ferries will do and if Irish ferries have done something that people don't believe is fair then they have to go to the NTA so there's a very clear uh, uh, sequence of steps that need to be taken before the NTA will get involved all right, Conor Pope, uh, thank you for that. Uh, we're going to take a short break now. When we return, we'll hear about Smith's Toys' plans for expansion in Europe. Back in a few moments. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life, September 2014. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. You can download this podcast for free on iTunes. And it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. Now, last week, it emerged that Irish retailer Smith's Toys has agreed to pay up to 79 million euro for the Central European Division of Toys R Us. That comprises 90 outlets in Germany, Austria and Switzerland. And the plan is to make the group into a €1 billion turnover business. Mark Paul broke the story and joins me in studio. Uh, Mark, welcome. Uh, First of all, just tell us a little bit about the history of Smith's Toys. Well, Smith's Toys grows out of a a shop in Clare Morris in in County Mayo, um, which was essentially a general stores type of shop that also sold toys. And it was run by um, Birdie and uh, uh, Paddy Smith. um, and, And they had a toy for years. Now, they're... Um, their four sons um, run the company in its current guise, Smith's Toys. You've got um, Tony, Porig, uh, Liam and Tommy. Um, and about three decades ago, about 30 years ago, um, they opened their first real, I suppose you would call it, superstore, um, Smith's Superstore in Galway. So the family comes from Claire Morris and Mayo, but it, it's really, the, the company is more closely associated with Galway. Um, the Two of the brothers really, really run the business. Um, you've got Tony, who is, in one sense, the money man, and 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 Porig is the the toys man. So so Porig is responsible. Porig is the guy who travels the world, picking out the the the, the, the next big thing. He manages all the relationships with the likes of Fisher Price and Mattel and these type of guys. And you know, people like Porig in the toys business are the people who decide what is going to be the must-have toy any given Christmas. And that will have been decided, you know, 10 months previously in February when they do all their buying. Tony is the guy who runs the operation, the financial operation. He is, I believe, a, 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 an accountant by trade. Um, and, and and he really, in a sense, has masterminded this absolutely fantastic um, um, expansion by Smith's Toys where they've gone from, from, you know, they conquered their home market, Ireland, then they conquered the UK. Now they've got their eye in Europe. And, and, and this deal with Toys R Us um, um, will essentially turn them into the biggest speciality toys retailer in Europe. Right. Uh, but how are they going, going to succeed effectively where Toys R Us failed? Because Toys R Us was a, a very big player, very well-known player in the US. Well, the, the division that they're buying, the Central European division, is actually profitable. Um, um, the reason that it's being sold is because um, 
Toys R Up racked up um, um, huge debts. The corporate entity in the US had racked up $5 billion worth of debts um, through acquisitions, just the way the balance sheet was managed, the way the company was financed. Um, and it went into Chapter 11 um, bankruptcy proceedings last September. Um, and and the, at the time, the thinking was that they, you know, as they tend to do in Chapter 11 proceedings, they were restructured and put it back out. Um, but they found, uh, uh, the, the, the restructuring experts in the US just found that, that the best thing to do was to liquidate the business. Um, and that was that was a thing that was in the best interest of the creditors in the US. So they've, they've essentially broken this um, this this huge toy company up into different bits and they've been selling off different bits they've been shutting down different bits like for example one of the another plus for Smith's Toys and all of this um, Smith's and, and Toys R Us would have been competitors in the UK where over the last 12 years uh, Smith's have opened about 80 or 90 stores superstores um, the, 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 the liquidators of, of Toys R Us have decided to completely shut down the UK network um, and that's been there's 60 something stores there are all going to be shuttered I mean that will give Smith's a boost in the UK um, but with the Central European division because it was profitable because there were bidders um, and they hired Lazard to, 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 to sell this Lazard the, the, the financial house um, and Toys R Smith's put in the best bid and, and, and they picked up another 90 stores so their, their network now will be about 200 stores so that's uh, in, in Ireland um, north and south most, mostly in the south that's about nearly 30 stores about 80 in Britain um, and, uh, and 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 then you know ninety. I think it's ninety three stores they're picking up in Central Europe, and also some an online business as well. Um, so uh, let's talk about online actually, because we all know Smiths for their kind of big big box bricks and mortar retail, traditional retail stores. But how do they do online? Uh, we don't know exactly how much or what proportion of their sales come from online, because Smiths, like um, like many successful Irish retailing families, don't do a lot of talking to the media. Um, Tony Smith or Porrick Smith, they don't they, they don't do interviews, um, and, and they don't deal with the media in any in any way, shape, or form, really, unless they can avoid it. So we don't know what proportion of their business is online sales, but we know that it's growing heavily and that they're investing heavily in it. And um, what they did say to what Tony Smith did say on on, on the day the deal was agreed. Um, which was Saturday and um, last Saturday he said that they see the future of speciality um, toy retailing as a multi-channel business so that's code for shops and online so they'll be investing heavily in that um, um, if you use uh, I mean if you use the Smith's Toys website now you know you can you can check and um, you can use it for you know you, you you don't just purchase online you can also check to see what their stock is of various toys across uh, across the different stores so let's say let's say your kid is going mad looking for a fingerling right which is a little robotic monkey that uh, squeaks when you rub its head and that was the must have toy for christmas just passed you know you can go onto the smiths toys website and 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 let's say you live in in bray and you see that there's a fingerling available down in wicklow or something like that you can jump in your car and go down and get it they do have those features in in in, in their website but really what they what what they want to get into now um, um in, in a much bigger way is, is e-commerce, is selling the stuff online and delivering it. And there, of course, they're not the biggest player there, of course. The, the, the Amazon is, is who you're competing with there. Um, Amazon is the, is, is, is the elephant in the room. Um, so um, um, online is, is, is something, there's a big future for Smiths in this. Um, but I think what they're really going to be uh, uh, kept busy with and engaged with at the moment is just trying to absorb this business in. They're going to rebrand all these Toys R Us outlets. So the Smiths name will now hit continental Europe for the first time. Um, um, it's a big deal for them. I mean, it's, it's 79 million euros, which in, 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 in terms of M&A, it's not the, the financially the biggest deal in the world, but it's, you know, it's a 
essentially going to double the size of their business um, or almost double the size of their business overnight. So it'll take a while to adjust all that in, to, to, to absorb all of that, to rebrand. Um, um, and, and then we'll see where they bring it. Tony Smith indicated that um, they see this as the beginnings of a European expansion. So it'll be interesting to see what other countries they go to. This, mm. this brings them into Germany, Switzerland and Austria. It'll certainly test their management metal and leadership metal because they're going to, I mean, their supply chain is going to be massively increased. There's going to be more complexity. Uh, they're dealing with several different nationalities and cultures and, and all of that. Um, any sense that they're going to beef up their management team or how they're going to tackle this? Well, well, the existing managing team of the Toys R Us division that they have that they have bought, that they have essentially bought, will stay on to run that business. So it'll be interesting to see how German business culture meshes with mm. um, with Mayo business culture. Um, the, uh, the, the the Smiths family do things a certain way. I mean, look, it's, it's a sophisticated business. But if you actually, if you look at their senior management, their senior executives, and, and you sort of trace, you can trace them all through LinkedIn. Um, they're all very young. They're all in their in their early thirties, late twenties. Um, 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 they're all um, you know people who you know third level graduates, but but they, they don't have you know it's not an old and dusty organisation um, um, that uh, uh, that does things in, in, in an old fashion. It is a, it, it's it's a it's a dynamic business. Um, um, okay, it's family owned, entirely family owned and family run. Um, but uh, this uh, yeah you're right. This 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 will test the, the the model, the operating model that they have. Um, but um, um, yeah, look, they're buying a management team as well as a business. Yeah. Any reaction from any of the local markets from? You know, employees, suppliers, trade unions, well, local politicians. Well, well, well. The story has the, the story has gained a, a lot of international attention from the US right away across Europe, but more, I, I, I think, because of the fact that Toys R Us were selling rather than Smiths were buying, um, and the Toys R Us uh, liquidation is, is 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 one of the biggest retail liquidation in the US in, in in years. I mean, it's an enormous company, and you don't you know you don't rack up five billion dollars in debts by being a small company. So it's 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 a big story. There's been a lot of reaction in that sense. You know. People in Europe don't know the Smiths brand. It's going to take a while for them to, to, to get introduced to this brand and, and the Smiths model. The Smiths model really is, is 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 these big giant superstore types, and you know you've got fl- toys from from the floor to the ceiling, you know, thirty feet up mm. up up in the air. These big warehouse type stores, which are also sort of experiential in a way. You know, you can go in there. You know, you can even 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 adult children can go in there for a couple of hours and bounce around in toys and, and kick footballs about the place. That's, that, that's yeah, sort of part of the model. Not, I don't know if you've been to the toy section in Harrods, for example, in Britain. It's not Harrods. Hamleys even. You it's, know, it's, it's not Hamleys. It's not that type of experiential. It's, it's a sort of a halfway house, I guess, between a warehouse and that type of thing. I mean, look, I've, I've been at Smith's. I've, I've, I've kicked the football well, in, in Smith's and Jervis. You've purchased some can, fingerlings in your time. I did, yeah. I did at Christmas time. Um, um, Santa Claus purchased some fingerlings from my house at, 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 in, in Christmas time. And, and, and you were just doing some market research, obviously. I was just doing some market research, but 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 I, I can tell you it's a it's a hairy time trying to find a, a Christmas must-have toy when uh, when it seems to be sold out almost everywhere. Yeah, Mark, what's been the experience over the years of uh, family-owned Irish retailers going abroad? Um, well, it's it's it, there's not has been that much experience of it at all. The Dunn family, which are you know the, the the most successful Irish retailing family of all time, they open a couple of stores in in um, in in Spain and and of course they had stores in Britain, but they never really did much in Britain. They've got a good few stores in Northern Ireland, and um, so this, the Dunn family did the UK and a little bit in Spain, but they never did Europe. They never they, they they've never pushed it out abroad. You know, like Penny's slash Premark has had the most ex- successful Irish retail European expansion of all time, but that's not really a fa- that's not a family business. It's okay in the Western family in a sense control it, but it's it's owned by. But a the list- management team was Irish. The concept management was- team was Irish, but but but, but I mean, Irish headquarters. But 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 the management team wasn't 
a silo in Ireland that would have been obviously it was owned it's owned by a listed a UK listed business and they would have fed into that management team and which would yeah. have helped inform that strategy. Paddy Power, I mean Paddy Power is, was, is or you know would have been considered a retailer. Maybe it's more a tech company now, but it it started out as a, a bookmaker with offices all around. You'll know more about Paddy Power than I will, but it's 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 actual shops. It's it's retail expansion it hasn't really been so much in continental Europe as as, as 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 far as I know. Most of his shops are in the UK and in Ireland and in Australia. I think. As you say yourself, Paddy Power is a tech business more than a, more than a retailer, and it's also a PLC. Most of its institutional shareholders would be big banks and whatever from New York and London and whatever. Smiths is a family-owned business run by four brothers from Clare Morris and Mayo who've managed to conquer not just the Irish retail market, they've conquered the British retail market, and now they've got their eye in Europe. I think in terms of Irish families that have done retailing abroad, this is probably the best effort we've seen so far. Okay, Mark Paul, thank you for joining us. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Umber Kennedy, Connor Pope and Mark Paul. Jennifer Ryan produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.